0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. (laughs) So those of us who gather here this morning are the men, women, and children who carry the burden, the grief, and the pace of modern life. But we are also those who gather this morning because of our profound need for hope, for faith, for love in the face of uncertainty and often despair. By all accounts, the women who arrive looking for the body of Jesus on that first Sunday morning are told that he was not there, that he had been raised, that he was alive, and that he, in fact, had gone on ahead of them to Galilee, where they would see him, just as he had said. They are perplexed and terrified, but then they begin to remember things. They begin to remember things that he had told them, and they begin to reinterpret that and reflect on it. And new thoughts, new ways of thinking began to emerge. We come this Sunday morning looking for Jesus as well wondering about and puzzling over his meaning for us. He is not here, however, he has been raised. That's what we hear. He is not here. He is not where we think he is. He has gone on ahead of us. And if we go where he goes, there we will see him. This is a story that tells us, at the very least, that God cannot be captured by anything. Not by death, not by a tomb, not by religion, not by technology, not by any philosophy of truth. God cannot be packaged and marketed for popular tastes and consumption, no matter how user-friendly and entertaining the purveyor of religion tries to make it. But because we live in a free market world that has been constructed to satisfy our personal preferences, we begin to imagine that even God exists to satisfy our personal needs. In a world where we can customize our ringtones, our faces, our spouses, our children, and our religion, we come to expect that even God can be customized for our own purposes. But this morning's story begs to differ. Whatever else it may be, this story of Jesus' resurrection is not about learning to live with a more positive attitude despite the stresses and strains of modern life. The women who found the tomb empty didn't go home and take on a new attitude that things would turn out okay in the end for those who believed. They didn't just decide to start looking on the bright side of things. No, they left perplexed and amazed, even terrified. This is a story that interrupts our usual notions and expectations of the way things are supposed to be. We don't have any control over this story, and the ending is rather open-ended. The phrase, resurrection from the dead, literally means coming alive from out of dead things. It's the picture of one who stands up, from the midst of corpses. It's a coming alive here and now, a waking up from sleep, a standing up to walk in the newness of risen life, as Paul puts it. I dropped out of college in 1977 because I knew enough to know that I wasn't going anywhere fast. I had enough sense to know that I had to interrupt the way I was sort of sleepwalking through my life, but I didn't have any idea of where I was going or where I was supposed to go. So I spent half a year just wandering around Europe on eight bucks a day. By the time I arrived in London, several months into my journey, I was a seasoned gypsy, living on nothing but bread, cheese, Hemingway and Camus, I tried to hitchhike to Scotland after spending a couple of nights under a highway overpass near the Cotswolds of England I was finally picked up by a trucker and ended up in a town called Ambleside which is in the Lake District of Northwest England by the time I arrived in Ambleside I was tired and lonely. Months of existentialist introspection had made me feel disconnected and cynical. I didn't know where to sleep because the youth hostel had been closed for some reason and I couldn't afford a bed and breakfast and I was worn out from camping. As I wandered down the main street of Ambleside, I saw a sign that said, Mrs. Thompson's Lodging, now open. I found myself knocking on the door, utterly exhausted by the 40-pound backpack that contained all of my earthly belongings. A red-cheeked, middle-aged woman opened the door. She smiled and simply said, Welcome. I looked at her and almost cried suddenly missing my own mother. I was a 20-year-old boy on the proverbial quest to find himself in the modern world, and Mrs. Thompson turned out to be the risen Christ in disguise who greeted me from out of nowhere in the town of Ambleside. After mumbling that I could spend no more than two bucks per night, I walked in at her urging, feeling both amazed and terrified. I somehow knew that things would never be the same again. She took me upstairs and showed me my bedroom, the room her only son grew up in. I soon learned that her husband had died only three months earlier, and that I was the very first boarder in her new bed and breakfast business. I spent eight days with Mrs. Thompson, as her only guest. And in that short period of time, both she and I received healing for our wounds. And we both came alive in new and unexpected ways. The first day I woke up to a full English breakfast of eggs and bacon, toast and marmalade, stuffed potatoes, stuffed tomatoes, and porridge. Then Mrs. Thompson packed me a lunch and showed me the hiking trails of Beatrix Potter and Samuel Taylor Coleridge. She also gave me a book of poems by William Wordsworth, the romantic poet who had lived across the valley near Lake Windermere. I didn't know it at the time, but these hikes from nine to four each day would awaken in me something that had been asleep for so long. Those healing hikes, awakened a long dormant love of God, aroused by the beauty of this world. I arrived back at Mrs. Thompson's each day at 4 p.m. for tea, scones, and jam. We watched together the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament and rooted for Bjorn Borg and Virginia Wade. While watching, we talked freely and easily about everything. I trusted her, she trusted me. We talked about her husband who had died, we talked about living in England during World War II, and about literature. We mostly talked about God, even though I didn't really know it at the time, even though the name of God was never used. In the early evening of my first full day, Mrs. Thompson suggested that since I was in England, I might read Shakespeare instead of Hemingway. (laughs) After telling her I had never read Shakespeare and that he seemed archaic and hard to read, she gave me a copy of Macbeth. (laughs) And then she gave me some background to help me better understand it. In her son's old bedroom, I read Macbeth for the first time in one sitting that night. My imagination was so stirred by this other world that for two full hours I forgot completely about myself. I remember thinking how Macbeth's ambition to have power, position, and wealth overruled his desire to be good and that in the end he was driven to violence to achieve his goals and ended up with nothing. After reading this play, I found myself engaging in a sort of prayer or dialogue that took the form of a lively interaction with an interior companion. I was no longer a loner. The risen Christ had become my partner, a live companion, who invited me to co-think plan and strategize with him about everything. I was waking up and found myself caring about my world and about those who lived in it. Over the course of the eight days I lived with Mrs. Thompson, my muted world became a lively dialogue from within and without. This was the beginning of a real shift from a me way to a wee way of thinking, planning, and acting. <coughs> this lady who opened her home and heart to me had become a real friend, who helped me see into a whole other world. She engaged me as a partner, not as a soloist. On my return to Texas weeks later, <coughs> I re-enrolled in the University of Texas as an English major. Not long after that, I found myself entering the Episcopal Seminary. I kept up with Mrs. Thompson by letter for several years until her death about 20 years ago. My direct encounter with Mrs. Thompson was what sparked my interest and fueled my excitement. Forgetting about myself, I became eager to be part of God's life, for God had become part of my life meeting me directly through one of his resurrection partners. (coughs) In our world, conditioned by fear and violence, Jesus came alive from out of the dead ones to call his beloved friends into life. How do we know Jesus was raised from the dead? Because he's alive and happening in, with, through, and for people like you and me and the Mrs. Thompsons all over the world. When we open the eyes of faith, we see the signs. When it gets through, we know it. It is not something we prove, it is something we see, hear, and receive. It is then that the gift of the Lord's abiding presence is recognized and confirmed. This is the precise moment when our soloist ventures end and the adventure of going with the beloved to Galilee begins. Amen. 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 Amen.